Hello, I'm Jonathan Smith. I'm the lead pastor at One Church TO, and you're listening to the teaching time from our weekend gathering. We're an imperfect community of over 70 nationalities and five generations who are attempting to follow and shine Jesus in the greater Toronto area. Our vision, it's so simple. We want to help people from all walks of life know God, love people, and in turn, impact our city for good. We've designed these weekends to be meaningful, challenging, and encouraging, and I hope that's what you get from listening. You know, when I was 16 years old, I went to uh, St. John High School. I transitioned to a new high school, and that high school was established in 1805. It's 219 years old. It's the oldest publicly funded school in Canada. And at the heart of this school could be this one word, tradition. Everywhere you went, there was tradition. In fact, you couldn't walk the hallways without seeing it. All the graduates, graduates from the early 1800s and on, their pictures, their names. I'd walk by my grandmother's picture, Elva Bizet. She graduated in 1908 or something like that. I walked by my parents' graduation, my brothers and sisters. At the heart of this school is the word tradition, and the person that maintained that tradition when we were there was this man. His name was Dennis Nibb. Dennis was born in 1927. He was the principal of St. John High, educated at Oxford University, served in the North Atlantic, immigrated to Canada, and he became our principal. And for 27 years, he maintained this sense of duty, this sense of principle, this sense of tradition in our high school. He was kind of unique because he knew everybody's name. There were well over 1,000 kids in the school, and he knew all of us, and he knew who we were connected to. I can still hear his voice booming. Mr. Smith, because he always used your last name. Mr. Smith, you're late. Your sister Lynn was never late. Your older brother Peter was never late. Why are you late? I remember him saying things like this. Mr. Smith, I'm only hard on you because I expect great things from you. He's a very interesting man, a very ordered man. So every, every uh, week we'd have a big assembly in the massive auditorium, over a thousand kids there. He would walk out to the center of this auditorium, no microphone. He'd come out in a suit. He'd pull the suit jacket down, shoulders back, head up. And he'd say, ladies and gentlemen, oh, Canada. And everybody would stand up and we'd begin on a Monday morning as teenagers do, going through, oh, Canada. We'd start singing it. Then as soon as it was done, there would be a reordering, shoulders back, head high. Ladies and gentlemen, the queen. And we would sing God Save the Queen. And we didn't know why we were singing it, but we sang it anyways. <laughs> then it would give way to the student body president would come in and there'd be skits and sporting announcements and prizes and all that stuff done. And at the end, we knew the end of the assembly had come because it was signaled the same way. Out from the stage left would come Dennis Nib, right to the center. It was almost like he was standing at attention. Shoulders back, heads up. Ladies and gentlemen, it's always ladies and gentlemen, our father. And everyone rise in the room and everyone starts saying, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us of our trespasses as we forgive those who have trespassed against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Amen. We said it. We didn't mean it. We had it memorized. We memorized it, but we didn't understand it. We spoke it. We didn't live it. 
I guess you could say in a very real way, we were hypocrites. See, a hypocrite is somebody that lives a contradiction. They act or behave in a way that contradicts the way they state they believe, what they believe, and what they feel. In other words, they're a person with a gap. Now, here's the thing. I've never met a human being, a human being that didn't have a wee tad bit of the hypocrite in them. Do you have a wee tad bit of the hypocrite in you? If you're online, just jump in. Confession is good for your soul. You might want to jump in there and just say, I have a wee bad bit of the hypocrite in me. So all of us do. There's always a gap. We say things we don't mean, don't we? We believe things we don't live, don't you? Maybe me. There's this gap that exists between where we are and where we want to be, where we live and what we say we believe. And the Lord's Prayer is unique. It's powerful in that it's designed to close the gap. It's designed to bring, minimize the gap between what we believe and what we live. It's very intentional. And one of the ways that you tap into this power this, that's available, and we'll talk about that in a minute, is by reorientating the way you see the Lord's Prayer. See, when I was back in high school, we saw it as a tradition. A lot of Christians do. It's something you say at a funeral. It's something we say when we don't know what else to pray. Uh, let's say in Our Father. In some Christian traditions, you say enough Our Fathers to get some sort of forgiveness. There's some, it's attached to a routine or a route. It's a tradition. But if we could elevate it from it being a traditional prayer to what Jesus intended it to be, a transformational prayer. It's unique in that it's meant to change the way we live, the way we desire things, and the way we ask for things. There's intention behind this prayer that Jesus gives his first followers. So I want to talk about its uniqueness today, just briefly. And we're going to conclude our series today on the Lord's Prayer. But there's a, I mentioned earlier, it's unique and it's powerful. Now, the power is not in the prayer. The power is in the source of the prayer, which is God. But there is nothing more powerful. Hear me if you hear nothing else. There is nothing more powerful than the prayer of a follower of Jesus whose desires and will is aligned to the desires and will of the Father. When you're praying for something that God desires and God wills, look out, it's going to happen. Most of it is about trying to get our, orientate our desires and our will around God's desires and will. So here's two thoughts around the Lord's Prayer. The first one is simply this. The Lord's Prayer is a reassembled prayer for a new covenant age. It's a reassembled prayer for a new covenant age. One of the very first church theologians, Thomas Aquinas, he said this about the Lord's Prayer. He said, in it, we ask not for the things, we ask not only for the things we can rightly desire, but also for the sequence, that which we should, they should be desired. This prayer not only teaches us to ask for things, but also in what order we should desire them. There's a lot going on in this little prayer that we so often just flow off our lips, sometimes in times of need, and it's wonderful to have it available there. But there's such depth here. There's something going on here that's very unique. The Lord's Prayer is a reassembled prayer. What I mean is this. It's interesting to note its location and the material that construct it. It's located in the middle of something called the Sermon on the Mount. 
It's found, so the Lord's Prayer is found in Matthew chapter 6, Matthew 5, 6, 7, there's the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, if you don't know what that is, it was the most significant teaching that Jesus give, gave while he was on planet Earth on how to live a life as a follower of Jesus, of somebody that was from a different kingdom with a different set of values and a different way of operating, and he teaches us that. And it's so beautiful, this sermon, and it's hard to live. And in the middle of it, at the heart of it, is this prayer. This prayer is the power to live that life. This prayer is the unpacking of the Sermon on the Mount and the life that we're to live. It's orientated there, and I think specifically by Jesus for a reason. But it's also interesting to note the building material for the Lord's Prayer. When Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, because remember, this comes in response to them saying, hey, Jesus, teach us how to pray. I mean, when you pray, things happen. Things happen, Jesus. Teach us how to pray. And he leads them in this prayer. Nothing Jesus said would have been foreign to their ears. They would have all heard pieces of this prayer before because all the elements of this prayer come from the Old Testament. Every single line from the Lord's Prayer can be found in different places in the Older Testament, the Older Covenant, the older parts of the Scripture. In fact, if you're online, you'll notice in the chat room, I'm going to give you a link right now. You can, you can use the QR code if you're in the room, or you can, if you want a physical copy, you can pick it up at our next steps, the blue wall on your way out. I've given you all of the Old Testament verses that are connected to the Lord's Prayer and the different lines, so you can do some personal study around it. All it will do is enrich your experience of praying this prayer. But this Old Testament, it's all constructed, and this is so cool, friends. Jesus is reassembling pieces of a prayer into a very powerful prayer. And it has purpose and meaning. It's meant to not only be a prayer we can pray, it's instruction. It's instruction for our lives. And what I find interesting is God doesn't disregard old things. We just sang an old hymn, uh, Hannah led us in, uh, How Marvelous, How Wonderful is God's Love. The Savior's Love, it was called. God, doesn't, God uses old things, but like, all, many, like often is the case, old things need to be reorientated sometimes to have fresh life again. And that's what he's doing with the Lord's Prayer. He's connecting a whole bunch of pieces that they would have seen as unique and different, and he's connecting them in a way they've never prayed it, they've never seen it. So we're going to jump into that in a minute. But this is so powerful. I like what Mike Smith says about this prayer. He says, the rightness of our life in him will depend on the rightness of our prayer. I've always said this. You can tell what people believe about God by their prayer life. For some of us, I think uh, Pastor Jessica touched on this. Uh, God can be like Santa Claus. We come to him with our wish list. For others, God is an ER doctor. We come to him when we're bleeding. We, 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 for others, God is, God is the, uh, what, what is it, the money mart. <laughs> we come to him when we have a need there. Uh, but that's not the way to approach God. That's maybe what we may receive from God. But God is a person. And primarily, we experience him in the context of relationship. And that's what he will push at right here. So here's the second point. Here's the second thing to remember. The Lord's Prayer teaches us not only what to desire, but the order in which to desire it. So as I mentioned earlier, Thomas Aquinas' quote, there's a sequence. There's a right way to desire the things of God here. 
And he wants to reshape our priorities and the way we desire things. He wants us to come to the point where we want what he wants over what we want. We want what is eternal over what is temporary. So he teaches us to pray. So let's get praying. Let's get cracking. The first thing he does is he takes a piece from the Old Testament and he starts his prayer. And it's our Father. How many like eggs? Yeah. People either love them or they don't like them at all. Uh, scrambled? Uh, online scrambled? Over easy? Yeah, that's my favorite. Over easy, yeah. Uh, poached? And nobody likes it hard boiled, right? Oh, somebody does. <laughs> he starts with our Father. And again, this is not a foreign concept. Immediately, his disciples would have went back to the prophet Isaiah, who says that God is like our Father. But he's doing something very unique when he, he's starting out with this idea of our Father. And this is where we get hung up, and Pastor Keith did a great job in week one helping us see that if you want to know what the Father's like, because we have hang-ups with this term Father, he said, like son, like Father. Look at Jesus. See, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are one. Jesus said, if you see me, you see the Father in heaven. So he said, you can look at the life of Jesus and you'll see the character of the Father, who he is. But not just in that. He's reorientating, he's reminding us where our desires should go. Firstly, our desires should be for our Father. That will inform all of your other desires in life. See, if you don't get who God is right you won't get anything right. And God is saying of himself, I'm like a good dad you can trust. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. I'll never abandon you. I'm a good dad you can trust. If you don't get this right, you'll see all of his gifts with suspicion. You'll wonder, what does he want from me? You'll see all of his commands as controlling, not freeing, not liberating. He starts his prayer by reminding his disciples, by reminding us, our Father a good dad we can trust. And then he gives us his location in heaven. In heaven. See, he gives us the location because if you really desire the Father first, you're going to want to be where he is. But he knew everything in this world would be about trying to hold on to what we have here. To live in the temporary and ignore the eternal. And right away, he's repositioning the way we see this world. He's asking us, every time we pray in heaven, we're repositioning our vision from the temporary to the eternal. We're spreading it out. Now, when we think of heaven, we often think of clouds off in the sky. Think less of a place, more of a space. The space that God occupies is devoid of evil and sin and disease and rape and murder. All of these toxic things we see in this world, the hatred we see, heaven cannot contain that. Wherever God abides cannot contain that. It cannot occupy the same space and time. In heaven, we are reorientating, every time we say that, beyond this present moment that we find ourselves in, beyond the present pain or challenge or problem that's in front of us, to what the Apostle Paul talks about, the future glory, he often called it being in heaven, the future glory yet to come. And remember, we talked about this a few weeks ago, that our tribulations and our testings and our trials will be a feel small, small when compared to the future glory. In heaven, he's reminding us over and over, everything in this world is filled with bling. It wants to hold your attention. There's something better coming, he wants to remind you. Our Father in heaven, and wherever God occupies space, 
there's unconditional love. In God's space, there's great joy. In God's space, there's great freedom. And in God's space, there's belly laughter. Like there, there is such liberty and freedom in those spaces. So then he goes on to say, not just in heaven, he says, may your name be honored. May your name be honored. Or another translation that's more familiar to me is, hallowed be your name. Now, I don't use the word hallowed. Do you use that often? <laughs> it's an old English term that means sacred or holy is your name. And holy, the best way to understand holy is the word different. We are declaring right at the beginning of this prayer, our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. Hallowed it be your name. You are different. You're not like what we see in this world. You don't operate the same way as the things around us. You are different. And if he is our father, our dad, we're declaring that moment, we want to be just like you. Different, different. Our father in heaven, may your name be honored. Then he goes on to say, may your kingdom come. May your kingdom come. Now this is the first petition. This is the first part of the prayer where we're asking for something. And notice, it's not specifically for you. It's for we. It's for thee. It's for me. It's for all of us. We are praying in this moment, may your kingdom come, that God's kingdom would be established. That this is our mission as followers of Jesus to live this narrative, to live this prayer. This is something we're praying for, that God's kingdom would come, and we're, we are living in. We are trying to bring God's kingdom everywhere we go. May your kingdom come. Now, what's interesting is, and we'll get into this next week as we start a brand new series, Jesus is establishing a new kingdom and a new community. And that's what this whole next series is about, a new community that's reassembled in. Just check yourself for a moment. If you don't find yourself in conflict with Canadian values and some of the values in this world, you don't find any sort of tension there being a follower of Jesus trying to live it out in this world, you may need to pray this line a few times. May your kingdom come. I mean, if you find there is no tension, it doesn't cost you anything to follow Jesus, maybe just check yourself. Maybe you're not following Jesus. Because it will cost us something to follow him. It will cost us to be people of the kingdom of God. Why? Because you're different. Remember, holy, different. You talk differently. You act differently. You have different customs. You have different taste buds for different things in this world. You're odd. You're a follower of Jesus. You're a person from another kingdom. You're an ambassador showing others what it means to be a person of the kingdom of God. Then he goes on to say, and may your will be done on heaven as it is on earth. This is where we push back at our own desires. This is where we elevate his desires. This is where we elevate what what God wants over what we want. May your will be done. I talked about this a few weeks ago with James, the half-brother of Jesus, saying, as the Lord wills, as the Lord wills. We hold our plans in front of God and we say, as the Lord wills. I'm planning for tomorrow, but as the Lord wills, may your will be done in heaven as it is on earth. We're acknowledging that there's a gap between how we live and how the world around us and what God has for us. See, friends, Following Jesus isn't easy. 
God does not promise you a that he'll grant all your dreams. God does not promise you a spouse or a partner. God does not promise to, to, to make you, give you a comfortable life. What he does promise, he says, if you will put me first, father first, father first, a good father, you'll put your affections and align them around me, I guarantee this, that your affections, you will begin to pray and ask for what you would have asked for if you could have seen things as I see them. It'll reorientate the way you see the world and your appetites, the things you even desire in this world. May your will be done on earth as in heaven. May your will be done is the ultimate I trust you statement. It's like in the middle of everything, whatever's going on, a God, I, are you like me? I want to tell God I know exactly how I want to get out of this. I want to be out of this. I want to be vindicated. I want to be rescued. I want my enemies trampled. None of you are as petty as me, right? And, you, and you're sitting in this moment, you're saying, no, 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 no. I trust you to architect the way forward. And I may pass through some stuff, but I know that you're even going to take that stuff and use it for good. You're going to change me from the inside out. One of the greatest tools for transformation is when we go through the furnace. Why? Because you're wide open to put everything back on the table. Otherwise, we keep it in our own pockets. That's my stuff, God. Hands off. But when we're desperate, everything's on the table. Nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours be done. And then, then we get to the next part. And this part, I'm not going to spend too long on because Pastor Jessica did a killer job on this last week. When he says, give us today the bread we need now and forgive us the things we owe as we have forgiven what was owed us. Notice, I love that word now. Pastor Jessica mentioned that last week. This is an acknowledgement. This is, again, a petition. It gets very personal here. We're to ask for things that are, we need in our lives right now. And it's not, now, it's an act, it demonstrates our dependence on God, our reliance on God. But I really think the key to understanding it is the word now. Because I want God's provision for now, tomorrow, the next day, and next day, and I never want to have to depend on him again after that because I've got it all. And God promises daily provision, both when we face temptation in this life, when we need provision in this life, when life is going sideways, when relationships aren't working. Well, what's the grace he has available for me today now? Now. And he attaches it to this act of forgiving, this act of receiving forgiveness, I love that prayer that Pastor Matt and Rachita led us in. Wasn't that meaningful? Just to receive forgiveness and also gift forgiveness. I let Pastor Jessica used this definition when she taught last week. Last week was brilliant, guys. If you are looking to kind of dig in on this section, I advise you to go back and listen to last week's message. She said, forgiveness is letting go and releasing someone from the debt they owe to me so that I can heal and they can heal too. And I don't think we take this serious enough. I just don't think we take it serious enough, friends. You see, Jesus calls this new family. He always associates us as like a family. And in Jesus' ancient culture, if you're part of a family, you had everything in common with that family. So when, because there always was, there was moments where things went sideways, there was conflict that would happen, things would happen. You never ignored it. You never walked away from it. You always walked towards it. Why? Because Jesus wants his people to be a family of forgiveness. 
He wants us to be a family of forgiveness. What is, you know, if you want to stand out radically different in this culture and world, practice being a forgiving person. Practice that, being a forgiving person. That's at the heart of God's kingdom. That's the heart of the kingdom that Jesus comes, both to give forgiveness and for us to give forgiveness to others. And this would have been amazing because Jesus walked around forgiving people, right? That would have been radical. It'd be like me walking, walking into this room and passing out passports and driver's license. Who gave me the authority to do that? You have to go to a government office to get that. Jesus goes about passing out the forgiveness of sins to people you, who gave him the authority to do that? You have to go to the temple. You have to sacrifice something to get forgiveness. And all of a sudden, Jesus goes around and he's saying all, all, to all kinds of people, he's saying, your sins are forgiven. Or he points to a woman and he says, this woman's sins are forgiven. He's going around passing out grace. Who does he think he is? Who does he think he is? See, we ask forgiveness. We not only receive a release, but we have the opportunity to release another. I like what N.T. Wright describes about forgiveness. He says this. He says this. Forgiveness is a door that needs to swing both ways if it is to be open to us. You know those doors that swing both ways? Have you ever seen them in a restaurant? They swing both ways? They're dangerous. I worked in a place once like that. I don't know how many times I got nailed coming back in because it kept swinging back and forth. But that's the idea of forgiveness. If you're not willing to open it for someone, it doesn't open for you. It swings both ways. And this is why at the end of this teaching, if you keep reading in Matthew, Jesus immediately kind of doubles down on the forgiveness things that Pastor Jessica talked about last week. Last week, we highlighted, she highlighted why forgiveness, releasing, how healing it can be to you and to others and how we're meant to do this. But here's the interesting thing. He goes on to say, listen, if you don't do this, you're a hypocrite. Because if you don't forgive forgiveness and I've given, if you won't give forgiveness and I gave you forgiveness, what are you hoarding? But you don't know what they did, you, then you don't know what you've done. Once you get a vision of how much you've done to harm your relationship with God and others, it makes you be very open-handed with others. Because I know I've blown it so many times, friends, with God and with people. How can I not open my hands and forgive others? Is it easy? If it was, we wouldn't even need to take time on this. It's really hard. It pushes against your sense of justice. It pushes against your sense of fairness. Pushes against many things. But it's actually the pathway to freedom. Freedom. So then we get to the last one. Let's get one more egg here. He says this. Don't bring us into, into the great trial, but rescue us from evil. Now, this is the final part of this. This kind of dovetails right into the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus gathered with Peter, James, and John, and, and darkness is coming. He says this, watch and pray so that you may not come into perorasmos, which is the Greek word that means the testing or the great time of tribulation. Here's what's happening. Darkness is coming for Jesus. He can feel it. I don't know if you've ever been in a place where you, you can almost feel the darkness. It's like a thick cloud blotting out God. And it's surrounding him in this moment. He knows he has to go into that fog. He has to go to Jerusalem, into the furnace of everything that is dark and evil. He has to go there solo so you never have to go there solo. 
He has to go there to defeat the powers of darkness so that you can pray this prayer. May you rescue us from the great trial, rescue us from evil. Here's the good news, though. The Apostle Paul reminds us that God promises that he will never let us test it beyond what we are able to bear. So we already know this. Whatever you're, going, whatever you're going through, whatever you're facing, you can get through it. God is going to see you through it. He'll never let you go through something that you cannot bear. So there's a great promise that's attached to it. And in life, there's trials and, trials and suffering. And if you've not experienced them, you're living a very privileged life. You know, I've learned a lot about that in my short life. But there's a reason why I don't get angry about certain things, because I haven't had to be angry about them. Because I grew up in a middle-class family. I didn't have some of those challenges, so why would I be angry about them? There are some areas of privilege around culture and my race that opens doors in ways that I never even thought about that. But why would I have to think about that? Because I've lived in a place of privilege. So we come to this place here. And all of us, though, will face trials and temptation, difficulty, physical uh, furnaces, depression, anxiety. The fear, man, is there anything more fierce than the fierce power of temptation that you feel like you can't get out from under? Every addict knows that. But every human does. Because you have something that controls you. You have something that is always threatening to control and destroy your world. And some of you, we are blind to it. But the temptation is so strong. This is a prayer that says, don't let me crack under the pressure, Jesus. Rescue me. Don't let me crack under the pressure. Deliver us from evil is one translation. Rescue us evil. Another translation. Rescue us from the evil one. All in the same things. And the problem with evil is evil is not often flamboyant and loud. It doesn't come to us and advertise, hey, I'm evil. I'm here. Sometimes you feel it. Many times we miss it. Evil is slimy. It's slimy. It's slippery. It's hard to pin down and it creeps into our life, almost unaware. Sometimes in the middle of something really good, something really dark is happening, but we ignore it because we're really liking the really good. So we entertain lots of evil things in our life sometimes. And he's saying, hey, pray that you are delivered from them. Pray that they don't get a foothold from you. Pray that the darkness, which is very dark and very mean, pray that it doesn't get its tentacles around you. Pray this, don't bring us to a place where we'll crack and don't allow these dark forces to get their tentacles into us. You know, we can only pray that because Jesus went into it and defeated it. And now we can ask for that same power to be at work rescuing us, deliver us from evil. So we got to get cooking here, right? So Jesus kind of assembles all these things from the Old Testament. And he mixes them together in a way that they'd never heard before. They had seen, but they'd never heard this before. Jesus is doing something different. He wants the outcome of our life to be different. We, us, to be different. So I talked about Dennis Nib, my principal, at the beginning of the message. He's only memorable because he was odd. He was different. 
In the world I grew up in, I hadn't seen a man with such tradition and duty. And, and also, he gave his whole life to the community. He was a public servant after he was a principal. He was never married. He, he funded orphanage. He did all kinds of stuff. He was an interesting guy. At his funeral in 2016, one of his colleagues said this about him. He always spoke of duty, and he had a strong sense that if you had abilities and you had resources, then you should use them for the good of the community and the good of society. I mean, he, he was talking about being different in this world. The world often feels like a selfish place, doesn't it? Feels like a place where we're looking after ourselves. Let's see if we get this going. Am I got it going? Is that going there, guys? Can you see it? Is there a flame? Oh, yeah, there's a flame there. It's a world that's... A, that we're supposed to be different in. We're unique. So, that, so much so that, you know, when Jesus is cooking, the devil's quaking, you all know that. When, when, when we're making up and he's making us into the image of God, he's transforming us. It's something beautiful he's at work with. And, you know, he works with the personality we are and some of you are a little spicy, so you like the spice, right? And he, and he always adds salt because that's what we're to be in this world a preservative. We're to hold back darkness and to propel light in this world. And here in the end, when you look at what he makes, what he creates, what he cooks in our lives, we're to be different. We're to taste different. In fact, when people have spent time with you, you should taste so good that they can't wait to be around you again. When, when you do business with people in this life, you should smell so good they can't wait to do business again with you. We're to be different than the people around us or the values around us. We're not better. We're different. And when we live that out, we provide an alternative way of living for people. We are an alternative vision. I was going to eat these eggs, but they're not cooking well. <laughs> and, you know, as much as I love eggs, raw eggs are just not on my list. See, the beautiful thing about God's kingdom and what Jesus is doing here he takes all these pieces, these random pieces to the disciples. He puts them together into one thing. He mixes them together and he create, gives us a gift of this unique and powerful prayer that is designed not to be used for tradition, but transformation. It's designed to change and reorder our desires in this life. You see, you notice the way he designed it? He said, desire the Father first. Then, then all of a sudden, we'll have a vision for eternity in heaven. Why? Because we want to be where he is. We want to be around him. And then we, we're to desire to be like our dad, different. We're, desire, we're to desire the kingdom of God over our kingdom. The kingdom of God. The will of God over our will. Then we're to come, open our hands, and, and ask, ask him, provide for us, God. Provide for us. And then we need to desire forgiveness and to give forgiveness. And we need to desire to be rescued from evil. Now, here's the interesting thing. We all come at it the opposite way, don't we? Rescue me, God. Forgive me. I feel guilty. Provide for my needs. And often we stop right there. These are the things we really want in life. And I don't blame you. I think that's to be human. When you're in pain, you want to be rescued. When you're in guilt, you want to be freed from it. 
When you, when you have a need, you want provision. That's okay, but we keep going this, then maybe God will desire your will. If we see these things done, then I'll want what you want because what you want is what I want. And then maybe your kingdom over my kingdom, but not all of my kingdom, because I want to keep parts of my kingdom for myself and I'll give you some of my kingdom. I want to be holy, but not too different. I don't want to be weird, God. I want heaven, but not too soon. I don't want that too soon, right? I'm going to hold on. Yes, we want heaven. Uh, someday when I'm really, really, really old and this world is really, really, really dull. And I want a father. But not like the father I had. Here's the thing. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Would you stand? We're going to close this gathering in a minute. We're going to sing, but we have a couple more things for you. But we're going to close this series by declaring the Lord's Prayer together. We're going to see it not as a tradition. We are not doing tradition here today. I love tradition, by the way. Not against it. But tradition has a way of sometimes trapping us into rhythms that we go on autopilot. We don't even think about what we're saying anymore. We're using a translation for this whole series uh, that N.T. Wright did because we want it to be a little fresh. And so we're, the words are going to come up on the side screens. And I would like to invite you online, in person, let's say the Lord's Prayer and let's say it in a way that we're inviting his transformative power into our community and into our lives. Let's say it together. Our Father in heaven, may your name be honored. May your kingdom come. May your will be done as in heaven, so on earth. Give us today the bread we need now and forgive us the things we owe as we too have forgiven what was owed to us. Don't bring us into the great trial, but rescue us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you found this helpful, we hope you join us at one of our campuses if you're in the GTA for a weekend gathering. If you're listening from somewhere else in the world, we'd encourage you to join us at onechurch.to slash live. We believe everyone can be a part of what Jesus is doing both in our community and in our city. So if you'd like to connect with us at a deeper level, visit us at onechurch.to slash next steps. See you next time.